Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, and I'm happy to be joined by two guests. Uh, first, uh, both recurring guests, uh, Graham Hall. Graham, thanks for being back here. Been a while. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk all things, and, and usually I know we talk some pretty deep movies, and this is a little bit different one, and, and I'm I'm looking. I've been looking forward to for, to doing a movie like this for a long time, and I'm glad it's this one. Yeah, it's you know, it's like nice to turn your brain off. I mean, I remember a year ago we talked about Upgrade, but uh, this is kind of like that on steroids. You know, uh, that was a great, that was a fun little movie. Good memory. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think that was like the last action movie we did. Uh, and I'm also joined by my friend Nick Menta, who last joined us on the Creed Two podcast. Nick, what's up, man? Keanu killed Bobom with a book. Yes, he did, and uh, that was so good. I know. I mean, like, I mean, uh, well, just quickly before we actually like jump into meat of it, like that was like a really pleasant surprise. Like, you know, everyone heard Bobon was going to be in it, but he was in like a split second of the trailer, like blink and you miss it. And like Bobon actually got to do some stuff. He like lasted longer than like most dudes do against Sean Wick, and he had like words. I was like afraid they were going to like get let him say stuff, and he did a good job. It's and he better than he did the semifinals. Let's put it that way. That's true. It, it would have been much better if he was still playing. I know that you feel that way josh yeah for nick, sure. I know it was nick, kinda... nick's a philly guy too so uh, oh, okay okay yeah so who's I mean, a better actor is it gonna be lebron james and i mean you've seen train wrecked and i'm sure there's a look lebron did a good job of playing in. himself in train wreck bobon like had to transform into a different character so i don't know i think i'd give him the edge if you're comparing those two performance but yeah so uh john wick chapter three parabellum it literally picks up like an hour after the events uh, or um, seconds after the events of John Wick chapter two, in which like after, you know, being dragged back into this life in the original movie and, and two, he kind of had to pay the consequences of that where people were able to come in and kind of cash in on the, the favors that he was owed since he got back in the game, uh, the, specifically Santino, who he kills at the end of that movie. And that's kind of the impetus for this movie where he is ruled excommunicado with one hour to go by Winston, Ian McShane's Winston at the end of that movie, and meaning he has no access to any of the cool services provided by the Continental after that hour is up. And I don't know, I, I, I thought for a second maybe we were going to uh, pick up with him in, in seclusion somewhere and something was going to drag him back, but we would really like pick up from him on him walking away from that conversation and then going on the run and he is on the run to try and uh kind of save his ass and fight his way back into this uh world and uh, undo his excommunicado billing so guys i, I guess i want to start first i'll ask you nick i mean because you reached out to me so long ago about these movies so i know that you are a fan of them what is it about these movies that you really appreciate and how do you think this movie was able to kind of hold true to those uh, tenets of those first couple movies that were so strong, but also be its own thing at the same time. I really enjoy the lore surrounding the Continental and just the, the amount of world building they've been able to do from what was in John Wick 1 an incredibly simple premise. Like, okay, some guy killed my dog and stole my car and now i need to kill half of new york city which and was great that, th- which was great that a oh, movie certainly. could do that but it showed that it could be more than that going forward right it just continues to build out that world with a bunch of like incredibly strange yet compelling rules and markers and gold coins and all all the sorts of stuff so i really enjoy that but the other part of it just sort of from a an action movie <clears throat> perspective is i don't know we've seen enough superhero films or action films now that like Set pieces after a while can feel boring unless they are, you know, innovative in some way. Mm -hmm. And John Wick has consistently found a way throughout three movies to come up with different action set pieces that do not make you feel bored as you are watching them. And top itself. Uh, I mean, yes. 
And it's it's one thing, like, I, I think we, we'll get to the violence in, in, in later on, I'm sure. Like, this felt violent even for a John Wick movie, <laughs> which I think is saying something. But um, especially when it comes to the the use of animals to kill people <laughs> in this one, wow, or at least yeah. to brutally maim people, um, like I said, they find ways to not only make it original, but also to have these incredibly beautiful set pieces. I'm thinking the end of of Wick 2 and certainly the end of Wick 3. A lot of glass, a lot of lights, a lot of neon. Uh, I, I'm into every part of it. Yeah, Graham, uh, what do you what do you really like about these movies? I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure it's the action like everyone else's, but is there something you really took from those first two that you were excited to see the third one build on? Uh, clearly the way the movie is shot, where you've seen uh, Keanu Reeves, all these videos come out of, of him training intensely, uh, for the movie, and, and you see these long shots. He referenced the gore and, and that, that scene where he ends up, you know, spoiler, putting the knife through the guy's eye. That scene where they're throwing the knives in the hallway, that long shot consistently of, of Keanu Reeves fighting those guys, that stuff is is so well done. I, I you know, I hate to, you know, throw out cliches like cinematography, but, but the way that the lighting and, and, everything is set up so perfectly is, is so much higher than, than other action movies. You know, I don't think audiences these days love settling for these whip around quick edited shots in, in action movies. They, they want uh, no blur. And, and that's what the future of, of film is where you're seeing these long shots and it's kind of harkening back to when you would have these old martial arts movies and, and you'd have these old shots, two, three minutes of, of one fight, you don't see that too much anymore in movies, uh, in, unless it's a John Wick movie or, or you're seeing some great Chinese, you know, martial arts movie coming over here, man. Yeah, and I've heard a couple people kind of talk about how that really choppy type of uh, way of cutting an action scene is something that was almost like made really popular by Paul Greengrass when he did some of the Bourne movies, which were really considered really like ahead of their time in some ways and really impressive. I think the Bourne Ultimatum actually, I think, won the Oscar for Best Editing, which I didn't realize till uh, recently, like early, it was at least nominated. So uh, it, it, I think we had gotten watched, uh, we had gotten used to like seeing that kind of thing. And these movies are directed by, at least the first one was directed by, you know, two stunt directors and David Leach and Chad Sahelski. And Ch- David Leach went on to do Deadpool and Atomic Blonde and I think is directing Hobbs and Shaw. And Chad Sahelski did the next two. These guys had never directed before. They had kind of, they'd been stunt, they'd worked in stunts with Keanu Reeves, with the Wachowskis on The Matrix. And all, all of a sudden it's like these guys with no directing experience are doing like these absolutely like crazy action scenes and it is really cool how it's like it's like kind of set a new standard because like i think you and i both and i i think nick just too like we like superhero movies but it's cool to be able to go to the movies and see something different yeah just to even talk about the editing for a second and i i'm a fan of those born pictures but mm-hmm. when it comes to like those sort of like crash cuts um it's one of the things that actually ruined um daniel craig's second james bond film for me quantum of solace it actually became incredibly difficult to follow what was going on with the amount of cutting they were doing constantly so to see something like that antique knife scene in wick three or even the way they sort of filmed the last fight um, become, between Keanu and what's his name, Mark DeCoscos? Yeah. Um, zero, where they're constantly zero. disappearing in and out of the frame. Just to be able to play with things like that but still see a lot of what's going on uh, was really helpful as opposed to feeling like you're in an action sequence where you're just not sure if you're going to be like nauseous because of the amount of cutting. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get some awards for uh, 
Halle Berry's German Shepherds. <laughs> you know, the amount of animal kills you referenced earlier in this movie uh, gruesome because I think that, you know, in this day and age, I think we do forget, I, we have a tendency to forget how violent these creatures can really be. But when trained by a cutthroat assassin like, like Halle Berry, you know, there was some bad stuff in there that, that really <laughs> made me kind of wince because... Well, yeah, I don't even know if it was so much kills in the case of the dogs as it was, like, castrations. <laughs> yeah, and This and could and have been John Wick 3, like, just crotch mutilation could yeah, have been the title. Yeah. Get rid of Carabelle. <laughs> oh, I tried to block all those out. That's... <laughs> I don't think that would have sold as well. You know, they're going for a fourth title uh, coming up. I don't know what <laughs> it exactly is going to be, but it's got to be another one word. If you can find, like, a castration, that's, that's you know, John Wick 4 castration. I like that. But I, I would I love to see that because it was a reminder that these are violent creatures if trained the right way. And you remember the beginning of John Wick 2 starts with him running out on the street as well. I love that callback. It's starting like this. Um, I, that, that was a great hearkening and the animals, you know, absolutely made it up for me. Everyone talks about the dog and the artist. You got to give these two dogs an award at the Oscars, if you ask me. <laughs> well, also, Not to mention the horses. Yeah, so, you know, one of the first things. Oh, that's before, right. Before, Ooh. Well, before this movie ever even had a trailer, there was this, they put out a still of Keanu just riding through New York City on a horse. And everyone's like, you know what? I am already sold on this movie. I mean, not that I wouldn't have been sold on John Wick 3 after seeing John Wick 2, but it's like, well, this movie is going to be awesome just because Keanu is riding a horse through New York. But I just, I don't, I guess I, maybe my thought going into it was that, oh, he's just going to like see one of those New York City carriages on the side of the road when he's running from a bad guy, and then he's just going to run, run, run away from him on the horse. But no, 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 no. They, this is a John Wick movie, so he is going to use the horse as a the horse hind legs as a weapon, but and not even just do that, but actually fight from the horse. Like, what did you guys think of how they were able to execute that sequence? I was impressed with all the animals. I, I want to go back. I you're <laughs> just asking about the horse. I want to go back to the dogs because yeah, there seemed to be a level of viciousness with the dogs that makes you wonder how the hell they pulled any of that stuff off. Yeah, I actually listened like, to a director. Like how is the dog just not going immediately like eating Keanu Reeves' face off? He knows the person to attack. I'm sure there's a plausible answer for all Stick in the underpants, right? It, even I'm scared of the dogs at that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're really smart, and they know which ones are the bad guys, and Halle Berry can direct them that way. But just even the execution of the dog scene took a lot of work. I was listening to an interview the director did with uh, Sean Fantasy of the Ringer on the big picture, and he's like, yeah, those dogs are legit attacking. Like, they had to, like, have these very—I think they got the same people, which he's, I don't understand how it works. He said they got the same people that trained the, the wolves in Game of Thrones, even though, from what we understand, those wolves are CGI. So I don't really know, but it's like they have, like, a legit dog trainer, like, for them who has to, like, train them to attack, but I guess in a way that's, like— safe enough that people aren't legitimately getting hurt like these are dogs are like are legit being trained to do that and then have to be like untrained to be quite that vicious and then like fit in in the scope of like a very complex very long action scene like i like as cool as it is just to watch dogs like go nuts and be that be that effective in a fight like i was just very impressed with that from like a execution standpoint and how they were able to pull off a fight that lasted that long with the animals not just like putting in an assist here or there but being present throughout the whole thing I don't know, Josh. I don't trust all those dogs. Any dog that you can train to be that lethal, I don't think you can train to stop after that. And that was entirely too wild for me to see. But <laughs> and, and the thing I said earlier about the dogs, seeing it, that makes you realize how visceral and, and, and lethal, like I said, these creatures really can be. The same as with the horses, because you're always 
you know, you see people on horses and it's majestic and you reference that photo that they put out and the way they put it out, you kind of get this, this idea that maybe, you know, John Wick is riding to safety or something like that. You don't think it's going to be that intense. And when you see him slapping the horses to get him to kick, <laughs> I've seen a lot of videos, man, on the internet that of people just dying like that. You can easily die like that. What an easy way to die considering horses are all around us. I don't know, man. That was the craziest stuff to me to see. It's not the knives and, and people getting shot. It was getting killed by animals that we consider friendly. That that kind of yeah, gave really, me the really, shivers. Really messed you up, huh? It did, man. I was still thinking about it. And, and I used to own a big pit bull in college, like a 90-pound pit bull. And it used to sleep right next to my neck. And, you know, I never would think, oh, man, what if this animal snapped? And now I'm having – I had a nightmare the other night, man, about – getting my jugular ripped out by a big dog. And, and I did not like that. And I've never had that dream before John wick three. So give it up to John wick three for making me have some terrible nightmares on Saturday night last week. Jeez. Well, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I want, I want to back up for a second and we'll, we'll run through all the action scenes, but I want to ask you guys a little bit about just, uh, the journey the movie takes John on. Cause like, we actually learn a lot about his past. Uh, Nick, how did you think like the movie actually handled like giving handled giving us all this background information on him? But it was in the context of using Angelica Houston, this director, to like kind of uh, get out of the country. What did you What did you think of what we learned about him as a person, and then even the decision he ultimately has to make when he's in the desert? Well, we we find out his real name, right? Right. I guess John Wick is not his real name. Do we have? I, I'm looking for this now. Uh, I, I remembered it as Angelica Houston was saying it over and over again. Um, I guess not the point. But to find out that he grows, uh, you know, grows up in this sort of like assassin, Greco-Roman wrestling ballerina school. Yeah, is <laughs> certainly an inspired choice. Um, that backstory for him sort of leads into an hour of the movie that at least in my opinion, probably the weakest part of the John Wick series to date, mm-hmm. which is not to say that I don't want to know more about where this guy came from or that I'm not sort of fat. Like I, I actually want more of Angelica Houston. I just feel like the journey to Casablanca up to meeting the elder is probably the most forgettable hour of John Wick, which is unfortunate because this is sort of a movie where at least for me of the three, the lows were the lowest, but the highs were some of the highest. And okay. so I think this is probably the most uneven of those three movies because of that journey he takes from New York to Casablanca to finding the elder. And like the movie and the franchise really picks up again when he gets off the subway again in New York, for me at least. I do agree with you because I feel like this movie, the, the biggest downside to me was I did not feel like it set up the future enough. Whereas there was not not a left not enough left at the end that was enticing to me, and I felt like Ooh, I actually that, disagree. But go ahead, finish your point. You Sorry. do. Well, yeah. I, I do not think so compared to the other two movies, at least. But um, because I, I think the setup at the end of John Wick Two was one of the highest points of the whole series, where he right. is stuck in the city and everyone comes from. I did not think that this ending was was up there, and I felt like they could have used less backstory and more setting up the danger of the future, but. That, that's just me personally. I, I, I also felt the movie was a little bit too long uh, and, and they could have trimmed some of the fat there. And, and, and that was the um, like you said, that that hearkening back to his backstory. I don't find that too interesting. 
um, necessarily any 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 more. I think that they could build on the future a little bit more than they did if they're going to make a two hour plus movie. Well, I'll say they did hint at his future. I don't think we got the full story. So again, it seems like there's point. At least in my opinion, there's plenty of material for them to do a couple more movies if that's what they're going to do. And maybe you could have like maybe you didn't need to go as in on the director stuff, and that's something that could have been saved. I I do find it somewhat interesting. Though I would agree with you guys. Like maybe that sequence and just get before they get to Morocco, and then maybe. I mean, I, I really did like the fight scene with the dogs. Like, I was really impressed by that. But everything else around that, and I liked Halle Berry's performance fine. But, like, everything else around that, I agree, wasn't necessarily as strong. But as far as just how they set it up, and if we're just going to jump to the end, I'll do it because we can fill in the gaps after. I I think one of my bigger problems with maybe, like, the first two movies, and I, I love them both, but, like, one of my bigger things was just that, you know, I didn't like that at the end of the first one that the um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, but the, the bad guy has to go back and kill Willem Dafoe. And I was like, you know, like I really liked seeing at the beginning of the movie just how much he respected John and how much he hated he was having to fight him. I kind of like that idea. It's like, well, this guy has no choice. His son put him in this position. He has to do it, but he recognizes what he's up against. And he somehow makes it out of that part of the movie alive, but then decides to piss John Wick off again. <laughs> it's like sh- shouldn't sh- shouldn't you just be glad that like you somehow made it through this entire movie without John killing you, despite the fact that he killed just about everyone else around you? And in in the second one, it's like Santino like gets him to kill his sister, but then he's like, yeah, you know what? Like I need to like defend my sister's honor, so I'm gonna try and put a bounty out on John Wick now. It's like yo, like just like don't piss off John Wick. You know, I I would have rather that movie been about like the common and the other assassins that were loyal to Gianna, like going after John. And here it was like. There wasn't anyone like that was stupidly going after John because everyone had a lot of incentive and that they had a lot of money to do it. So I I didn't really have that to worry about. And the one thing I was a little concerned of, though, was like I like the Continental. I like this world, but it's almost like I'm starting to wonder what it all means if like it can all come crumbling that down so fast on someone where everyone can just kind of turn against them at any point and put out a bounty on someone else. It's like I get that they are kind of adhering to a code, but at the same time, it's like, man, this seems a little overrated to be a part of where it's like anyone can just turn on you at any given moment. And that's where my head was at. And then I like how it just tears it all down at the end. And at that point, like Ian McShane's like, you know what, I'm just going to mess this whole thing up. And John and John's like, you know what? I'm not going to try and get back in with the high table. And then it, I, to me, it just kind of sets up a fun war because we still don't know a ton about the high table. And we, we, we've we come into we learn pieces about them and we know it's obviously very powerful. But I feel like there's a lot of firepower back there of very um, powerful people that we're still going to explore what drives them. And now this next movie, it's going to be about just like, man, they're like going to be at odds with like a couple of different parties because I don't think Ian McShane's totally or Winston's totally genuine when he's getting back with them. And now we got John teaming up with the Bowery King. Like, I feel like it's a lot of different forces that are just going to all of a sudden converge. And I left very excited for it. And I was like, man, like it's hard to like find franchises that are like where it's worth going past three movies. And I was just kind of impressed. I'm like, it seems like there's a lot of meat on the bone here. No, I was compelled by it. I, I actually sort of laughed when he went over the side of the continental and then the body wasn't there because I did think for a second they were going to be pulling some like really elaborate Sherlock kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for, for wick to go in the, uh, in that direction. And then sure enough, sort of like very true to form for the franchise. It's just him on top of a shopping cart, having survived a fall of that sort of level of violence, strictly on the basis that he's John wick. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no reasonable, there's nothing that they did to MacGyver that or like be like, oh, actually, we staged the fall. It's just like, no, he really did get shot twice. 
Well, he really did hit the railing on the right way down, and then the dumpster, and then the ground. But he's alive <laughs> merely on the basis that we've put this guy through. Well, also, also, Winston knew what he was doing, though, right? Like he was shooting a bulletproof coat. Like I think he knew that right in the moment. Like I didn't think he was genuinely trying to kill John. Well, so that's one of the things I want to ask you about because, like, we're playing very fast and loose with some of these rules, particularly the ones that govern the Continental. Yes. Like, if Ian McShane knows that he's shooting the guy with the bulletproof coat, then clearly the adjudicator knows that too. So I guess we are required to make some mental leaps. Where it's like, yeah, maybe she didn't get that in the moment. And then she was obviously kind of suspicious of him when he, she went to, she went up to him afterward and she's like, he's gone. It's like, I didn't know like how suspicious she actually was. I felt like she was very, or excuse me, uh, Asia Kate Dillon is a non-binary, so goes by they. But I guess it's a she in the movie. I don't know. But um, regardless, uh, the adjudicator is um, very... Uh, smart. I mean, every every decision throughout the movie, where, whether going up to uh, Bowery King, going up to Winston, has the upper hand in those conversations, and it did seem a little suspicious. It's like, did they buy that? I don't know. Right. Uh, huge fan of the adjudicator, by the way. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about that character. I think it's just because I'm so sort of invested in all the mythology surrounding the Continental mm-hmm. that if we're going to, like, have based what's the equivalent of, like, an assurance adjuster show up, like, I'm <laughs> excited by that. Um the only other sort of concern I had along the lines of things people should or shouldn't have noticed or maybe like plot holes, although I can't believe I'm concerned with plot and John Right, Wick. right. Why didn't he go to the Continental at the very beginning of the movie, assuming, of course, he was going to be able to go back there at the end of the movie and still not be killed on Continental grounds? Well, I think he didn't know that that they'd not kill him, though. Wait, but, but, but like once he's excommunicado, though, like they can kill him – can't they? They can still kill him in the hotel, right? Since it's like uh, he's not allowed into the hotel. Choice not to at the end because Ian McShane knows his back's up against the wall. Well, he wouldn't. So, like, yeah, Graham said he wouldn't have been allowed in the hotel after that hour was up anyway, right? Sure, but he's still excommunicado at the end. Yeah, he had to leave right as the hour, right as it hits six p.m. The hotel, and then he would be around everyone who could kill him. I do love the machinations of all this. Though. Like, I'm very concerned about the legal ramifications. <laughs> really means to be excommunicado um You're which is again why i like this franchise anyway sorry Graham, what'd yeah, you say? I, I just i just really hope that you know in this day and age of uh, everything being cut short and and veep just ended i don't know if you watched that josh i'm a huge veep fan and nick but okay so a, a show that i've been thinking a lot about that that was adamant and it wanted to end before it got stale I hope that John Wick 4 does not, you know, become the Godfather 3 of the John Wick series. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I do feel like there's plenty to work with. Uh, also, um, I, I— No Lawrence Fishburne? I mean, you you can't take— What do you mean no Lawrence Fishburne? He was he was right there at the end. Is is he is he going to be back? I, I would certainly suggest— It certainly yeah. seems like that he's going to team up with John. That's not how you read that last scene? Uh, I, well, okay. I mean, I hope I hope that was it. I I, I guess I kind of missed that, honestly. Oh well. Also, I mean, it, it, uh, clearly Jason Manzukis had a lot of scenes cut from this movie because, like, he was on movie posters and stuff, and I was like super excited to see like how they were going to utilize him in a movie like this because it looked like at first I thought, oh, is he playing an assassin? It makes sense. He like he has that look of like a homeless person that would fit in with the Bowery Kings uh, people, and it's like I, I was just excited. It's like TikTok man, what the hell is this? And it's like I mean, I think. Whatever he is, like they could do a lot more with him in the next movie. They can, I'm sure they could bring in an, another couple of actors because who wouldn't want to be a part of this? They were able to get Angelica Houston and Halle Berry and uh, Asia Kate Dillon to sign up for this. So I think there's like, I, I think they'll bring in fresh blood. I, I'm almost more concerned with like 
more so than like whether or not there's meat on the bone story wise like can they top themselves again on the action like they've set the bar so high you know like i'm like i mean i we say i say that but like you know fast and furious movies seem to consistently be able to find more ridiculous things to do so i'm like i'm sure this movie won't really have a problem with that it did occur to me as i was watching it that it's sort of like how everyone jokes that the only logical end for fast and furious is to go to space (laughs) um i did get to that point about midway through john wick where i was like (laughs) If we get to John Wick 5 or whatever it's going to be, some part of me like literally went to that place in my mind where I'm like, all right, so we have to go to space now. Because that's, I'm all for that. That's kind of the level of like violence inflation we're doing in these movies. And I just – it's maybe it's not a question of how they're going to top themselves. Maybe they need to make John 4 and, – and they won't. I mean – I, I think people they, are going I to these movies for the violence. But maybe they need to find a different way in or a different tact with John Wick 4. They need to go full meta like like the Wolfenstein, you know, game series. Just take them to space, like you said. <laughs> Put it in this, you know, the, the, there's an evil boss like Elon Musk. It's an <laughs> evil version, and he's going to blow up the galaxy or something. You know, John's got to kill his henchmen. I'm all for that. They should make that movie. Well, speaking I would of- go see that. Like, like, like Josh said, as long as the action is fresh, and I think that they're going to continue continue to need to add these celebrity cameos and and uh i i've been thinking like you said about uh, you know me forgetting that that Lawrence fishburne was right there in the end that kind of just i guess i was kind of tuned out because i i feel like the ending was a much softer landing than the ending of two and and i need to go back and see that again to see how well the the future is set up but um, I, I think they do need to get outlandish or at least take it to an area far away from the continental and, and have a, a new look on John Wick four. Well, I think the continental is about to like take some other, well, actually they're, they're actually making a TV series based on the continental. So I don't know how that's going to interact with the John Wick cinematic universe, but at least for whatever the next movie is going to be, it seems like the continental is not going to, I mean, just with this whole little revolt the New York chapters do it almost did. And then we don't actually know if Ian McShane is legitimately loyal to them. It could be like torn apart some, which I, which I'm fascinated to see, but it's funny. You mentioned meta. It's not, I wouldn't say it's completely meta, but what did you think when, uh, Mark DeCoscos or zero made that turn at the end? There's that funny, there's that funny switch where it's like, he comes in and he sits down on the couch in Winston's office, like right next to John and John like moves away. Cause he thinks he's being intimidating. And all of a sudden it turns out he's just like a fan of John wick. And he's like, I can't believe I'm in a John wick. I'm fighting John wick. And it's almost like, one of the characters is really excited to be in a John Wick movie, basically. What did you think of having, like, the main the main most worthy adversary in the movie all of a sudden kind of being a fanboy throughout the entire last fight? And his students were that way as well. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when John's fighting two of them at once and they continue to let him up, and they're even helping him up. And I think at one point he backs away and puts his hands up. and He's like, no, I got this. <laughs> uh, I kind of enjoyed that, that they are leading into the cartoon elements of – the people in the film being as impressed with John Wick as the audience is. That, that really everyone is here for John Wick, both in the movie and in the theater. Um, and maybe that's a direction they continue to go in for. Related to this is, I think, like the elapse of time, which I thought John Wick 3 really did a good job pointing out, that this entire series has taken place over the course of a week. Is it so just a point, week or is it like three weeks? Uh, it's short, whatever okay. it is. And yeah. that sort of goes back to your point about you know, uh, how strong can the Continental or any of this other stuff really be if it can all come crashing down to this extent in yeah. a week, two weeks, or three? Um, but the fact that everybody is this sort of like weirdly in love with John Wick gives some necessary humor to this because the amount of gore in this movie 
does get leveled out at some point, but just the ability to make you laugh. And I think that is valuable. Yeah, you know, they, 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 they did a good job of infusing some humor into it, even in parts later in the movie where you might think everything's just, like, getting super serious. There's the moment where Winston just hangs up on the adjudicator, which is pretty funny, uh, because the adjudicator's had, like, the upper hand in so many of the encounters throughout the movie, and all of a sudden he just turn, turns that on its head. Uh, was, was your audience, were y'all's audiences laughing during the whole knife scene? Just me. <laughs> they were ooing, yeah, they were ooing and aahing and, and kind of wincing, I think, and... and Scenes like that where where the audience is reacting, uh, I think that, you know, everyone groups John Wick as a whole into that category when they think of this movie. But really, one of the best parts of the movie is is those slower scenes that make you stop and and kind of think of the real consequences. And, And one of the scenes I think of when I say that is when he arrives to the doctor with with five minutes until six o'clock and and the doctor's trying to stitch him up as quick as possible and, and can't finish the job uh, because the clock, the clock strike strike six and, and the absurdness though, of that scene mixed with, it was kind of Barry esque like eight on, you know, Barry on HBO in, in a way where the yeah. doctor is like, okay, now you got to shoot me twice. So they'll believe it. And that then, was and then, nuts. And then John's so good at shooting that like, he, and John's so yeah. good at shooting that he knows exactly where to put the bullet before the doctor can even say so. Doesn't um, even win. Doesn't think twice before he does it. And, and scenes like that mixed with all the fast paced action or why this movie is, is so successful. I'm glad you mentioned that scene though, because it's funny that like through a scene like that, or just the way he, he interacts with Sharon, you know, the concierge who played by Lance Reddick, who I am, I, that was my favorite part of the last fight, which was pro- in my opinion, almost like the weakest fight where it's just the, the, the high table SWAT men coming in and just kind of getting blown away by the big bullets. It was just fun for me to watch Sharon get to actually do something besides stand behind that desk and smile at the dog. I thought that was really cool. But just in the way in which Sharon is obviously somewhat loyal to John, even though he's really just another hitman out of many that uh, patronize the Continental, and the way the doctor treats him and still wants to help him out even after that point, it's it's funny because it actually tells you something about John Wick uh, just as a person and how he probably treated other people in his past life. Yeah, and, they don't help him out of fear. They help him out of respect. Yeah, even, even, when, the, even when the excommunicado orders come down, like, and which can probably – you know, they could probably like get in trouble. They're obviously get in trouble for violating it. And they're still willing to help him presumably because he just is a good person that treats people well. And that's just a way of like showing that without just a way of showing and not telling. That's actually really interesting where it's just purely through the actions of other characters. Just to change gears on you for, for a yeah. little bit here. Cause there was a question I wanted to ask both of you. I purposely stayed away from the plot details of this movie. And I thought the marketing and the trailers went out of their way not to, to give much away. To the point where 20 minutes into this movie, I was not sure we were going to have a plot. <laughs> really, like, because I think we had maybe three to four set pieces on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Where I really sat there in the theater. Not, not that it was a problem necessarily. I just sat there going, is this going to be two hours of Keanu Reeves killing people? And I don't mean that in sort of the metaphorical way that somebody might describe John Wick. I thought there was a chance that John Wick 3 was going to be two hours of set pieces. Um, and I was just wondering if anybody else had the same impression or if they, if you knew where it was going, but that was something that really went through my head as a viable possibility as I was watching. Yeah. I, I had avoided all material besides, I think the initial trailers and, and I, the horse photo that we had discussed earlier. So I, I, I didn't really have a sense where it was going, but as the movie progressed and as they filled in some backstory, like you said, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the backstory, I feel like it was a good enough change of pace where 
it, 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 it catered to both categories, people who, who want that action for, for 90 minutes and people who want some deep plot interspersed so they understand the motivations of the people fighting. And I think it, it did a really good job um, making you understand why everyone is, is fighting to the death in, in a sense, because um, without that motivation and, and understanding the movie just does not work in, in any way. I mean, like you said, in finding the investment in the continental, the backstory, the gold coins, the King, the Bowery King and, and all that stuff is just like icing on, on the cake of the action. Yeah, I, 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 like Graham, I only saw the horse picture. I don't even think I saw a trailer, so I didn't even know what Halle Berry's role was going to be. I actually assumed she was going to be in, like, more of the movie. And I actually, I, maybe I did watch the first trailer, but I just didn't remember any of the details because I was just looking really close to see Boban. Like, I wanted to get a hint <laughs> as to what Boban was doing. So I was just looking so closely for that. I probably wasn't actually paying attention to any of the words in the trailer. But, you know, I part of what I like about these movies is that they aren't that complicated and I'm fine with a little bit of plot but I don't really want too much uh you know David Leach who co-directed the first one and is I guess produced these next two did Atomic Blonde and I, I mean I really like Atomic Blonde but it gets incomprehensible for me for some of the plot mechanics at the end so that's part of what I like about this movie is that yeah it, it ends up having some plot and I I, I like you was probably assuming all right this is just going to be non-stop action the whole time and I would be totally here for it and we already discussed maybe some of the plot stuff was a little unnecessary and you didn't need to give us the whole his whole entire belarusian heritage storyline which did slow the movie down a little bit and maybe you could have found a different way to do that but you know i was fine with that it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything and i was like all right well i kind of want to catch my breath too you know it's it's a lot to just have scenes of that length and of that intensity going and going and going like it's exhausting so i don't i don't mind that it slowed down to like tell a little bit of a story and you have john talking to different people about like why he wants to live and it does slow down to kind of get inside his head a little bit which is fine i enjoyed those parts as well and Mm -hmm. and i actually hope we get more of angelica houston going forward because i i am interested in in perhaps young john wick and where that came from i think why i said that that hour of the film was the weakest is really in the lead up to the elder. And I, if we could just sort of like hammer it on this for a second. Yeah. Um, so we clearly have this one person who's just sitting above the high table. We don't totally understand how the high table works or who's on it, but we have one guy who we've decided is above the high table. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that to me felt incredibly unsatisfying, I did enjoy the way it was described as to how you're going to find the guy just mm-hmm. wander into the desert and maybe it'll work out for yeah. you, which it did of course. Um, and I did think that that character was successful in drawing the motivation out of John. Why do you want to live? And that was a question that they revisited a couple times in the movie that I thought was fascinating. Like, cause you could really lose sight of that. What are you doing any of this for other than the fact that, yeah, somebody killed your dog and stole your car. So there clearly was a, a deeper element to it. I just didn't know, or I'm just not of the opinion that going into the Moroccan desert or wherever they are to find this elder character was necessarily the the way to go about sort of digging that out of the character. What did you think so of him? I liked where what, we got to, I just didn't like how we got there. Right. Well, what did you guys think of, given what you think of, well, given what you just said, what did you think of that leading to him actually making the decision to cut off his ring finger? Which, when he's been talking about his wife the whole movie, do you think that they, that was earned? Well, they really went back on it almost immediately, right? Like, he decides to cut off the ring finger to get back into the high table, mm-hmm. presumably just because he wants to keep living. And he guesses, like, okay, I can sort of still remember and honor my wife in my mind without having (laughs) the ring or the finger for that matter. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, 20 minutes later, when he's standing with Ian McShane, he makes the choice to be a different man. Mm -hmm. So it, it, 
seemed a little bit contradictory, but it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe if you could justify it better than I can. I don't know. Uh, Graham, how, how'd you feel about that? That's pretty, that's a pretty crucial moment in the film as far as his, his, his character development. How'd you think he, he, that, that, that scene with the elder was handled? Are you talking about when he, uh, cuts off the ring yes. and gives it to the elder and then, you know, so wait, let me, let me get this right. He cuts off the ring finger, gives it to the elder. And then Winston's like telling him to like not die like a killer or something like that. Well, he knows Winston knows he's that John's gotten the order to kill him and he's uh, trying to meet me. Change he, him. He, yeah. He's, he's, and he's, he's successful yeah. in doing so and saying, does, does this really, does so this really want to kill him? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, you know, I, I do like that. And I think it's good setup because I think giving John a moral compass and, and, and harping on that and, and saying that he needs to remember what he's doing this for and, and not just solely for vengeance, because I think that is, that's going to be a plot point moving forward. I, I think that may be part of the setup that you were talking about, but overall, you know, I would like to see a little more motivation than, than, you know, and I, no offense than doing it just for, his wife's memory, I guess. Well, at this point, he's doing it for survival. Uh, and I mean, yeah, that, that he wants to survive to remember his wife, but at the same time, it's just like he's not just going to like let someone sh- shoot him in the face if he can avoid it. I mean, but it's like it's like what is the end game here, you know? And I think I mean I think that's part of what's exciting is that it has to go somewhere. But you can't just be excommunicado for the next four movies if they're going to keep making these movies. So I, I I'm not I don't know what the best direction for them to go in is, but it it does seem like it's setting up for this war in the next one. But at the same time, it's like. He's going to have to be operating completely underground because of that, or you're going to get kind of the same movie again, I guess. You know, it's going to have to be like them plotting to then take down the high table because that's what the Bowery King obviously wants to do at this point, given that they stabbed him seven times because he gave John Wick a gun. Can I propose something to you that's only moderately satirical? Sure. Insofar as the end of this movie has Neo and Morpheus, (laughs) like preparing to go to war. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a part of me that thinks we need to involve Hugo Weaving for some reason, which which like I only half jokingly suggest that based on how meta the series is already getting, particularly with this film. Well, yeah, I, mean, I thought you were going to say you want Carrie Ann Moss to play an assassin or something. So. Right. But it's the exact same premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like at some point, should we just start involving people? I, I had mentioned to you via text, yeah. you know, just a couple days ago, my fantasy booking for John Wick four and five. With like, which I had involved Patrick Swayze playing Michael the Archangel. Like, I just want to get. I some part of me wants John Wick four and five and six and ten to just be like this meta commentary on Keanu Reeves' career. I mean, it, I, meta. I, I, I'm all for that. Let's go for for it. Yeah, I don't feel the need to like. I've, there's been so much ink spilled about his career and just how amazing it is that he's like had this like third life as an actor, you know, you obviously had this stuff in the late eighties, early nineties, and then, uh, then, then had the matrix stuff and then was pretty quiet for a, a while and not doing anything this big and then just have these movies. So it, it, I mean, I guess there are some weird parallels where it's like he, he keeps finding new lives as an actor and John wick seems to like have endless lives and is able to somehow keep surviving. And that, and that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as meta is the movie is not only with, with the people, uh, in front of the in front of the camera but also the people behind it again like these these guys like worked on the matrix so it, it to me it almost doesn't feel like too stunt casty at this point when you've already gotten to where you are like why not bring other people into the fold you know um uh, yeah we'll but do, uh, uh, we'll do sandra bullock carrie Ann moss hugo weaving and whoever played g baby in hardball yeah justice for g baby uh <laughs> 
Um, uh, but yeah, guys, I, I the, the last thing I wanted to ask, though, I mean, like, because I feel like we've pretty well covered it, but did you guys have any other sequences you wanted to discuss? Because, I mean, we, we actually, just in the course of talking about the movie, did cover, I mean, most of these action scenes, but I feel like we almost didn't talk about it enough. I mean, Graham, were there any other thoughts you had on the action in this movie that you wanted to share? Not so much the action. I think that this is overall... I'm, I'm alone on this point. I was not thrilled um, with with the adjudicator's performance. I was not that scared of the adjudicator. I certainly wasn't scared by the adjudicator, and I maybe maybe I misinterpreted her role. Um, I just, or, or maybe I just enjoyed it for the wrong reasons. I don't know. I was I like over out of my mind for the adjudicator just because I, it seemed funny in a way. Like, the performance was so flat, almost intentionally so, because this person was basically supposed to be like a glorified lawyer for a bunch of assassins. I really liked the way it worked. I wasn't scared by it as much as I was, like, very pleasantly amused. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting how the adjudicator is able to operate, and they're like, th- that whole sequence at the end, just funny how the adjudicator is just operating around the Continental, but Winston and Sharon and John are still able to commandeer the armory, but right there the adjudicator is still giving orders and they're going back and forth and i i don't know like i i, I guess you're saying you're more bothered by for the performance graham it, it didn't it didn't bother me uh quite as much even if i would say that that that's just a character that just just not have as much to do thrilled not yeah. bothered but yeah. i guess not thrilled i i was not like you mentioned hugo weaving in the matrix way matrix way better way better much much scarier of a villain where would you guys put this in terms of the other well now three wicks where, where do you rank this compared to the other two? For me, it's above one, but below two. Honestly, I, I think I have it one just because, like I said, it, it, it didn't fall prey to those issues that I had with the, the first two where the, it was like these people that were going after Wick for no reason. And it's like the, those movies put in so much effort to establishing how dangerous it was. And if someone's going to come at him, I want it to make sense. And I thought that uh, this movie really made sense in that regard. I thought the it was almost set up too that they, they did establish that the – that the Zero's team and all of his uh, sushi folks, like, they were very, very, um, they were very capable. And just the way that John treated them uh, later showed that, like, he found them worthy. And, you know, like, there's the whole thing in the second movie about him uh, and just how he stabs, like, this whether or not he leaves a knife in and how he just, like, leaves his opponents at the end. And it it was like, okay, like, these guys were legit. They weren't off their rocker and coming after him. And that sequence was, like, really impressive, just the the final entire fight sequence in that glass room. I mean, it was a little similar to what they did with the mirrors and two, but it was still still fun in that it was more exciting hand-to-hand combat than just the— the shooting in the glass room and the eventual way that one ended when he killed Ruby Rose. And I, I, I guess, I don't know, just so many of the set pieces felt like they leveled up somehow when I wasn't even, I, I, my expectations weren't even that high and they somehow exceeded them. And I just, I, I just thought the character motivations made a lot more sense to me. So I, that's why I have it one, but that's not really a huge slight to one or two. Cause they're great too. I mean, wh- where did you come down, Nick? Despite really enjoying my time at the movies, I actually put this of the three last. Okay. Just because I think one is sort of this kind of self-contained, maybe not, but like this is very narratively straightforward action film that I really enjoy for what it was. And then I felt like two was the proper mix of the the mythological elements of the Continental and this world that I liked crossed with the action. Um, and I felt like that was maybe the, the, the best of Wick whereas three was the most uneven just because the highs were really high. I thought the last 45 minutes was everything I wanted out of a John Wick movie, both in terms of the action and the mythology, but the 
the pacing for this film, particularly the the journey to Casablanca, just sort of took me out of it. So I'd, I'd say the highs were high, but the, the lows were a little bit lower in a way that I didn't experience them in one and two. So despite enjoying it, I actually put it last of the three. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm excited to see where it goes, though. And um, I, I, I want to see how they're going to kind of back them, get, get out of this corner. And if they are going to if they do have plans for a movie beyond the fourth, because I think uh, they did officially confirm a fourth, I believe, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yes. I, 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 I'd, I'd be curious to see how they can. Like, I, I do think there's enough to, like, tell this story of him going back at the Continental. But, you know, I, I want it to be more than just I, I, if they're going to go for a fifth. I want it to be more than just like him on the run again. So I'm curious to see how they reset. Uh, Graham, before we sign off, any other final closing thoughts? No, I, th- I thought it was a really good movie. It was it's hard for me to enjoy the, the slow scenes in, in action movies. Like I said, I, I didn't think it was bad at all. But but I thought John Wick, Two was much better, if you ask me. And then but I plan on watching this again and, and maybe my opinion will change. There we go. Nick, any other final thoughts, things I didn't touch on? Any odds and ends you want to mention? Yeah, I'm not convinced that Boban's dead. I think he probably comes back in four, or five, six. Yeah, we didn't actually go back that to that scene. Twist. Again, yeah. I, I was impressed that he like actually said words. English is not his first language. I thought he played it pretty well. Just he he wasn't being overly goony and scary. You know, like these people, these assassins, when they're all going at each other, there still is like a level of like professional respect, and it's like they this understanding that like you know this is how it is. And I think he struck that note actually pretty well, as opposed to just being like the big hulking, scary, foreign-looking guy that like I thought they were going to cast him as. So, I mean. I was impressed. He he, pro- he probably got more minutes in this movie than he did in most of the playoff games this year. So who knows? Maybe a career change should be in order. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, weird. And, like, and also, a, he killed him with a book. I mean, I don't know if it's as crazy as a pencil, but he killed him with a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Think back to like Andre the Giant and Princess Bride where – Oh, I mean, he acts Andre the Giant off the screen if you ask me. Well, not even just that. Like now if you're in Hollywood and you just need a dude who's seven foot three and X amount of pounds for whatever purpose, like – like Boban suddenly seems like he has a viable acting career in a way that really like just delights me. Yeah, good, 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 good for him, and uh, best of luck to him uh, in, in his future endeavors if he chooses to do that rather than uh, cash in in free agency. <laughs> um, uh, Grant, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? Twitter, other places people want to read you, find your thoughts, anything like that. Follow me on Twitter, Graham Hall underscore. If you care, care about the Gators, anything else? Josh, always a pleasure. Nick, nice to meet you, man. Great yeah, taste. Well. well. Nick, you want to plug yeah. you want to plug anything yourself or? Yeah, um, at Nick Menta GC on Twitter. Um, it's a mix of wrestling, golf, arcade fire, and probably hype for uh, Matt Reeves' new Batman franchise. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Those are the five high points. I think there's five. There we go. Do you like the Robert Pattinson? Yeah, I was going to ask you. That, I was going to ask you that off air, but now that you mention it, where do you stand on Robert Pattinson as the new Batman? Curiously optimistic. Have you Just, seen any of the things he's done since Twilight? No, so that's the problem, and I didn't watch Twilight. I think the only time I've actually watched Robert Pattinson act is as Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter. So it's optimism only Good in the time. sense that yeah, like, yeah. conceptually people hated Michael Keaton. Right. There was a weird backlash to Heath Ledger despite everybody knowing he could act. So it seems like anytime anybody's sort of like outraged by an off-the-wall Batman casting decision, it works out. Right. There's also apparently a Cronenberg film that he's uh, terrific in that I need to watch. So, so like Graham said, watch Good Time. It's like it's incredible. It's really good. It's I think it might be on Amazon Prime. He, he convincingly plays like a like a street a street New Yorker. Like it's really it's and it's really like thrilling, fast paced, on the edge of your seat kind of stuff. 
so yeah, Nick will be back in 2021 to talk about Batman. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I, I, if you want to follow me, it's Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Rewind Movie Pod. So everyone, thanks for listening. Lots of fun summer movies coming up, everyone. Stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.